Holy shit, it has been a long week. Um, looks like I'm not going to be a parenting partner with Rachel, unfortunately. There's been a surge of interest from other parties, coincidentally enough, but not a sniff in the dating department. I guess you take the good with the bad. On the podcast this week, Matt Seidel, an old friend from wrestling who recently had a close shave in the parenting department and found some significant revelations from it. It's my unconventional life. I went to the woods because I wanted to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. My name is Nigel McGuinness and this is My Unconventional Life. It's a podcast, it's a journal and in a way it's kind of a personal ad. But most of all, it's about navigating the treacherous waters of love, sex and relationships in 2016. Sponsored by, you guessed it, no one right now. Every week I detail my own journey and discuss my own untraditional views and aspirations in that world. Whatever the topic, whoever the guest, it all comes back to one question. How do we best find and express love in 2016? it's been a long week holy shit working a regular job is hard I thought that was why I busted my ass to be a pro wrestler so I wouldn't have to do that my new editing gig is a 50 hour a week deal I had my car in the shop to get the bumper fixed so I was riding my bike the hour to Beverly Hills and back every day and throwing a couple of shifts from 9 till 2am at my new security guard gig in West Hollywood and it doesn't leave a whole lot of time for much else. What is left is taken up solely by cooking, writing my blog or producing this podcast, or pursuing parenting partnerships. Getting laid? Eh, no time to even think about it. Thursday night was, well, a significant moment in my story, or an epiphany if you will. Supermum was in LA for a few days with work, so we'd planned to meet up for that evening. And as I was plodding on with my editing, waiting for a text from Supermum to tell me she was ready, I got a text instead from Rachel. It was the first communication I'd had from her in well over two weeks uh, since she'd first headed out to Burning Man. What's up? I'm back in LA, uh, was what it said kind of caught me off guard as I wasn't expecting it and I wasn't sure what to expect to be honest so I texted her back and she replied that she'd already started IVF okay I replied but I didn't know what else to say I still felt very uncertain about moving forward so uh, she helped move the conversation along by texting simply are you still interested in moving forward with me say what else you want about her she does communicate very well There was some trepidation, but I told her I felt just as uncertain as before, and she replied right away. Well, we will let it go then. She said she wished me the best and hoped I could see them before they left for Europe again at the beginning of October. And I did feel an immediate sense of loss, but then also relief. You know, I wasn't sure at all. I wasn't ready. And maybe it'll still turn out to be a mistake. But I listened to my truth. And that may be to never have kids. But you have to be authentic. 
And that's what this is all about. Settling for a non-traditional relationship isn't much different than settling for a traditional one. Now, there's no doubt I'm giving up on something potentially very valuable. But if I'm honest, I felt too much like an afterthought. You know, knowing that I had reservations, instead of committing time to spending time with me and talking out the details, let alone getting some kind of legal agreement, she went to Burning Man. And when we talked to a psychologist in the past, we talked about implanting my embryo first, but then she decided that either way, she was going back to Europe in October to implant the ones she has over there. Now, look, I I need to be clear that I in no way resent or am upset for her making either of those decisions. You know, I have nothing but love and respect for her being authentic and honoring her desires and her other obligations. But I was just looking to be more of a priority before committing to having a child with someone. After we texted, uh, she told me she had plans the following night and then was going up north for the following week or so. So, well, it's how she lives her life. And again, I respect and admire her for it. I just didn't feel like it was the right fit for me. I mean, maybe she got the sense that I wasn't sold on the idea anyway, so put other priorities ahead of figuring out the details with me. I don't know. And maybe I never will. So anyway, I was feeling a little down when I picked up Supermom. But her pretty face and her bright white smile and her cheerful eyes, they picked me up. You know, we had a lovely time together, like usual. We parked at my place and we took a long walk to get coffee, chatting the whole way. And to be honest, she sounded much more serious about moving forward with me. As we walked back, I put my arm around her for a bit. Then we even held hands. I don't know, it kind of felt like we were a pre-teenage couple. It felt nice. I mean, the distance is still an issue. I'm not going to lie. And um, we were going to hang out the next night too, but she was too tired from work, so cancelled. And I do get the sense that she grows tired of people after a short time. I mean, after one night with me, she definitely seems to want some alone time. I mean, I even mentioned it to her, but she didn't think she was that way. Maybe it's just with me. Who knows? The girl from Long Beach had been radio silent since we first talked. Then out of the blue, a few days after Supermum's visit, she texted me. Apparently, she'd met someone and had decided to move forward with them. But I guess their sperm test results had come back poorly, so she was thinking about other options again. And when I mentioned meeting up, just to chat, as a sounding board, she never replied. I think at her age, she's in her early 40s, she's really feeling the time crunch. And I hate to hear that. You know, it seems that so many of the women that are on these co-parenting websites are about that same age because all other avenues have failed. Maybe this will sound cynical, But it really is something women should start thinking about in their early 30s, if not before. Being a parenting partner isn't something you should rush into, just like a traditional parenting relationship. And when people do wait so long, it only encourages bad decisions, which isn't going to help the concept. But what the fuck do I know? I went to a poly parenting meetup as part of SPLA, and it was a lot of fun. And as usual, nothing but kind, intelligent and loving people. Uh, There were a few people with kids already in poly relationships and and one girl who had potential as a parenting partner, but I didn't get a number or anything and um, I don't know, I really need to get better at that. 
Another old flame from the parenting partner websites reached back out too. Uh, she said that time was ticking away for her and her partner now. They have one child already but wanted a second and now she says it's really only a Hail Mary to make it happen. One thing I've learned, don't rest on your laurels, whatever that means. <laughs> don't just dip your toe in the water trying. Do it with gusto and don't be deterred by disappointment. I'm not saying you should take a risk and move forward when you aren't ready, but you need to look through the whole barrel to find the right apple for you. You need to make it your first priority if it's that important to you. It was always so crazy to me that when people place so much importance on finding a life partner and are so sad when they don't have one, they don't put more effort into finding one and making it their first priority. They just always seem to expect it to happen on or after a handful of dates. Then I also got an email off of one of the websites from a girl I'd written to originally only to congratulate her on finding a partner as she'd uh, updated her profile to say that. Not dissimilarly to the girl in Long Beach, however, it hadn't worked out for health issues with the guy. So she had replied to me to see if I was still looking. And we had a chat on the phone. I told her about Rachel and Supermum. But then I was still certainly open to meeting and chatting, if for no other reason than sharing stories and, and being supportive. And we chatted on the phone for a while, and uh, I really liked her, you know. She's also 42, uh, so in a similar hurry, somewhat, but didn't sound desperate, and was actually in a really good place stability-wise. So we'll see. She has a romantic partner who can't conceive already, so is looking more for a donor than a parenting partner, but like me, is open to discussing options. I don't know, it's worth pursuing. Uh, I still feel a strong rapport and destiny with Supermum, but until we've made any kind of commitment, and it's been nearly two years now without one, it makes no sense to close off any other options. I'd hope we'd still be friends no matter what happens. I really like her irrespective. Just like Rachel. Well, after nearly 20 episodes, the podcast seems to be getting some traction. I've been added to a couple of podcast networks. Podcast Detroit, out of, well, Detroit, of course. And Shining Wizards Network, who have their own podcast I've done a few times in the past as part of wrestling. Great bunch of fellas. Anyway, check out their networks. Rate, review, like my podcast. Seriously, it really helps me a lot. And tell a friend. Five minutes of your time. You fuckers. <laughs> Takes me about five hours a week to do it, but I am doing it for me, so there you go. The interview this week is with pro wrestling superstar, plant-based substance believer, and open-minded soul searcher, Matt Seidel. We talked for a long time, and it took me a long time to edit, but it came out well. He's just uh, such a fantastic friend. I always love having him visit when he's here in L.A., uh, he had a close call recently in the parenting partnership arena, but as he said, he was not the father. Wonderful fella. The girls love him. A bright, positive star in the firmament. Matt Seidel. Well, this is a podcast interview that I have been looking forward to for the longest time because I am here with my good friend Matt Seidel, in a, otherwise known as Evanborn in a different lifetime, but we're here in Los Angeles and we've got a lot to discuss, a lot to talk about. I've, I've been doing this podcast for a while now 
and my friend, you are one of the people that I thought would be perfect to have on here. So how are you doing? I am fantastic. I am thrilled to be on your podcast since I thought you doing a podcast has been a brilliant idea since day one. And if I had done the podcast a couple months ago, you know, right when you got it started, I wouldn't be able to sit here and say I'm a fan of the podcast and now a guest. But that's the case today. Right, absolutely. And it's um, Saturday morning. We've just gone and got some coffee. We're all amped up, ready to discuss, put the world to right, so to speak. Now, obviously, when I ever have people on the podcast and I interview them, there's a certain sense of privacy because you only talk about what you're comfortable about talking. There are certain things in your life that, you know, I understand you don't want to talk openly about. But nonetheless, what I kind of want to get from you is what you've learned from your experiences as opposed to getting into your experiences necessarily. I've got a lot of unconventional worldviews and I think you do too but I think you're far more fluid with them they're not hard and fast rules for you like when you think about dating you don't go hey I'm non-monogamous I'm polyamorous I don't want a serious committed relationship I try not to either but if I do try and express those sentiments it's because I fear that I may be misleading a girl if I don't sort of talk about that thing. But where do you stand if you had to try and give the Reader's Digest condensed version on your dating feelings? God, I mean, you're so right about how everything I do is unconventional. I really don't believe in this labeling thing and in the categorization. I think that's our brain's trick to try and make things easier to understand or make make life like simpler. By saying you can put people in a monogamous box, a gay box, a straight, you can put them in a whatever box, and that might make it easier for your brain, but that's not really like the reality of the situation. What I, what my theory is, is I'm very flexible with all of it. If it comes my way and it feels right, I go in that direction. And I'm not saying I don't have things that I want, but when it comes to that dating stuff, each person I meet is a different person, so I have a different set of ideals and what I think would work best for me and for them on an individual basis. So when I meet somebody, I don't say, hey, these are the rules on dating me because I don't even know what they are either because they're they're not set. But if something makes me uncomfortable, I try and say it. I spent a lot of my life in situations where I just wouldn't say anything. But so lately, my relationships and everything have been a lot better when I can express exactly how I feel in the moment, even if I'm kind of acting a little crazy. At least I'm saying it out loud rather than internalizing it and then kind of just holding it against somebody. And what you said was like, you like to put these things because out of fear of something for maybe hurting somebody. And like right then, when you say you're doing it because you're afraid of something, Mm. you're acting from a place of fear, not from a place like the love and kindness and openness, which is the message that the women that you're hanging out with, I would imagine are getting from you. Not not this guy who's coming. If you're coming from a place of love as opposed to fear, you're not worried about not hurting them. The only thing, if you're open to that kind of the loving aspect of it, the worst thing that can happen is they might not love you back. Mm. And while that's painful, that's their problem, not necessarily yours. And like, that's what I'm kind of dealing with right now in my female relationships. Like, not necessarily that it's it's me, but everybody has their own things and everybody's life's complicated. And when I'm just like, oh, my life's complicated, I'm tough to be around, I also realize... Other people's life's complicated. They're also hard to be around. Everybody's going through their own thing. Mm. And I try and be I try and be compassionate about it, but also protective of my own personal 
happiness. Yeah, what is it Jimmy Jacobs always used to say? He always used to quote, I don't know if it was Plato, uh, be kind for everybody is fighting their own battle. Definitely something to that. But I think you're 100% right in terms of it's how you frame things. I went to a, to a poly discussion group and I talked to some of the guys there who were very successful, at least within the poly community, dating lots and lots of girls. And they always say that by owning it and saying, hey, just so you know, um, there are two or three other girls that I'm sleeping with right now and I'm going to continue sleeping with them. But the way they frame it as a positive thing makes them actually more attractive and more appealing versus sort of saying it from a position of apology. And even when it comes to your worldviews, saying this is a positive choice, I've come to this place because I've thought deeply about this. I want to be a, a conscionable human being and I'm happier and I'm more at peace with the world and I can project more love as opposed to saying, you know, I had a lot of difficult relationships and they ended badly and I don't want to go down that road again and negative, 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 right? So it's really is, it is your perspective and, and how you sort of explain that for sure. Now, to skip to the other portion of my unconventional life and worldviews when it comes to parenting, I've always felt like I wanted to be a parent. You know, I never felt like I was in the right position because, you know, I didn't have the right finances or I just wasn't in the right place in my life when I was away all the time. And I know to say 100%, I'm not necessarily in an ideal situation now. Maybe I never will be. But I do know without a doubt that I want to be a parent. and I want to do it in a non-traditional platonic relationship. You've had an experience recently without getting into too many of the details that kind of changed your worldview in that regard right now you did you ever want to be a parent beforehand or yeah not? yeah I've wanted to I mean I've wanted to have a family basically since I was a kid I mean I sort of just always thought things were moving in that direction eventually to have a little family yeah did you see it happening the normal traditional way you'd meet a girl fall in love get married have kids uh minus the marriage part marriage was never something that for me was important to having kids I mean I think that sort of comes from my upbringing where my dad came out of the closet when I was 16 and I realized that my parents raised me great together, separate. Like it didn't matter that they were, as long as they were in a loving relationship, it didn't matter necessarily what was going on because they were able to raise a happy household right. and three happy boys. And so that was sort of my introduction to kind of a non-traditional relationship. And, you know, even after your parents get divorced, when you all have Christmas dinner together and everybody's happy, it's it's a really special thing. And so for me, that's what I wanted was two parents that liked each other. Yeah. That for me that was the most important thing because I'm telling you I was shocked when I as a kid I can remember finding out seeing other parents fight and like I mean it absolutely being something wild I had never seen it before because my parents just got along so well possibly because they weren't so overtied into the mm -hmm. sexual part yeah. it that must not have been a part of the relationship and I don't really know when they found out, but I mean, when my mom necessarily found out, but I don't think it was a one day you know, the next day you don't. It's sort of like, you know this person. And anyway, I think for them, what became important to them was raising the kids together. Yeah. And the non-traditional idea is awesome in so many ways, especially with um, adult relationships. But when you bring kids into it, I think there's this intangible aspect that cannot be rationalized or put into words that is very very powerful and it's the reason monogamy became a thing because this special family unit of a minimum of three people you can have whatever kind of families you like but i was referring to paternal maternal son or daughter that they make together uh -huh. and when that happens and when you as the dad 
see the mom doing these things and taking care of a child. I mean, there's things that you that don't register on a on a scale. You can't write them down on paper, but they will affect the kind of relationship that you have with that person forever. And I could share a partner, but I think sharing a kid would be a lot more difficult. Yeah. The jealousy that you would get from a woman compared to a, a child, completely different things. Com- they're completely different worlds, and they resonate completely differently with you. And the way you see the mom as she's taking care of, of a kid that's yours and this kid, the baby can't live without her. So she is just as important as the kid to you. And the kid is your life because that's what you want. I think you might find that the woman that you're trying to not have insane feelings for, you will have insane feelings for, and you'll just have to deal with that also because hmm. they will get, it will get crazy, I think. And that's a good, but that's a good thing because you're feeling really strong Here's the truth. When I think about having a kid with any of the potential mm. parenting partners that I've met, I start to get that feeling, that strong sense of connection, bond, that I know if we actually had a kid would definitely be there. So a lot of times when people go, oh, you want to have a kid with someone you don't know, as if they think this is going to be a business transaction and you'll shake hands and here's my sperm and throw that up there. And then I don't see it that way at all. I see the relationship being very deep, intense, emotional And I think that that sense of connection is strong enough without the sexual connection there. You see what I'm saying? Yes, but it will also make a sexual connection too. You will want to have sex with her for sure. Yeah? For sure. It's, I mean, sex is a great part of a loving relationship. Yeah. And if you love somebody, you're also going to want to do sex to them. And I know you're not going to get a parenting partner that's some ugly momo. You're going to get some beautiful woman. You know what I mean? Like, and a beautiful woman's going to want to make a baby with you. Right. And then then you guys are going to make babies. But Hmm. what's great is that you want to have the option where, hey, we should always be in love and have a loving relationship, even if I won't meet all your human needs. And we all have weird things that we need. You know what I mean? That girl might be into some weird foot thing. And you yeah. might just be like, all right, go find some guy who you can, you know, chank off with your feet and right. then come back and we'll have a, you know, we'll keep raising this baby together. But that's <laughs> not going to affect our personal relationship. Whereas some people like try and do the ownership thing. Yeah. And, and that's, that's really tough, especially if it's just ownership over your genitalia. Which makes is so illogical. People will be in relationships and so mean to each other, but and then get offended when someone has sex with somebody else. And it's like, I just think like I would love to have a kid, and I would love to find a parenting partner. The way you describe it is very similar to how I think raising a kid would be a very joyful experience. Mm. Just you have to find somebody that you can live with, and somebody that can live with you. And right. you know, I have a lot of caveats with my relationships and because of my job yeah. and my lifestyle and my unconventional life uh it you know it's it's hard to find a partner that can that can roll with all those punches but you know to be disingenuous or to be you know i've spent plenty of my life living out other people's dreams and trying to be do what other people said would make me happy then i realized oh i'm the only one who knows what makes me happy and i have to pursue that and if i don't i'll just be doing what other people think makes you happy which is this cultural conditioned idiocracy that we currently live in and the people who step out of the current paradigm that we live in reevaluate it from a less myopic perspective from a from a further out perspective or a different perspective i saw all that when i went started going to japan and england at such a young age i realized 
oh, these worlds are completely different. People are raised in entire- – I mean, I grew up in Missouri. Like, it was very simple and plain and small. And then you see how, you know, you can be raised here and think this is how everybody lives. People in Missouri think everybody lives like them. Yeah. Then you go to Japan and everybody in Japan thinks everybody lives like they do there. And until you go to a different culture and reevaluate yours from a distance, you can't see the things that you accepted as constants aren't always constant. It's just your frame didn't see him moving. Hmm. Yeah, well, so you, know, you talk about frame, and you're obviously a big proponent of, how do we say this? I don't want to say drug culture, but expanding your mind through yeah. natural substances. Plant, I believe in plant medicines, but I mean, I, I encourage freedom of consciousness, which means people can use mind-altering drugs to explore anything, especially because the ban there's even been a ban on research on these things i mean how preposterous is that that is so illogical that my duty as somebody who believes in civil disobedience is to be a part of that movement right i mean tell me about uh, the your experience with ayahuasca i mean that's uh, an interesting story in and of itself yeah my i had a, i mean i went down to peru honestly and i thought ayahuasca was going to just give me all these answers mm. and it really was not what I expected, I didn't really have any psychedelic trips. I didn't see anything. I had, no, I had no visions. I really had a tough time with it. Then I decided to stay an extra week in the jungle and drink uh, like a San Pedro cactus drink, which is like basically a mescaline-based thing. And, th- I mean, that is when I had full-on divine experience, like a full-blown religious experience, the kind they write about in the Bible and the Quran and in all these books of all the ancients – Similar to also any kind of alien story, just it tapped into a realm and a world, you know, that we don't have scientific measurements to measure, but that if you experience it personally, you can talk about it. But the words I would use to talk about this experience, it's, it'd be a language that I could share with someone who's been there because I can't really tell you what water is. Right, I mean, like, try and explain water. It will get you wet, but you can't say... What, no, you, if you don't know what water is, you don't know what getting wet is. Hmm. So we have to use language to explain our world. But when you say a tree's a tree, like, if you look at a tree, you call that a tree, that's not a good description of it. Like I said, it's a framework so your brain knows this is tree. But it, that doesn't describe, like, the bark, the tree growing out of the ground, all the things... Like, there's so much more that goes right. to it. That me sitting here trying to explain kind of like how I'm walking through the jungle to going to like this, it was like a little spring. We're on a walk to a spring and I'm walking down there and all of a sudden I got the the whisper in my ear saying, hey man, like it's okay to love everybody. You can give that love out and without it depleting what you have. Like you don't have to hold it in. Like you can give it out to everybody because as a wrestler and just doing what we do so many people are like feels like they're sucking your energy from you and like you just end up in a lot of weird social situations but almost every single time people approach me because they love what I do and they want to have this great experience and it was just like if you give it out it comes back and that applies to the dating philosophy of polyamory where if I love one person I don't love another person less by loving a second person in fact, I probably have more because I'm getting it from all these sources. Filling up a bathtub with one spigot doesn't do much. But if you've got five in there, that bathtub of love gets filled up, starts overflowing mm. pretty quickly. Although you should probably stop at five. I don't know how much more you can handle. 
<laughs> but I'm willing to go for six. <laughs> yeah, it's the idea that love isn't a finite source. You know, time is, resources are certainly. But is time? Because yeah, the, the present moment is of, infinite. There's only a certain number of minutes and hours in the day. Therefore, but, if oh, you you just said, hey, can I fit more than five in? That's purely an indication of time. And the truth of the matter is, if you want to have deep, meaningful relationships with people, that takes time, you know. I mean, here I am, I'm spending the day with you, I'm spending time with you. That means that there is less time to spend with somebody else. But just because I love you, that doesn't mean that I have less love for someone else. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's definitely understandable. But So you can't really necessarily explain the experience to someone who hasn't had the experience themselves, but can you, in a reasonably concise way, sort of explain how it's changed your worldview before and after, other than just this sense that now you don't need to be afraid about putting love into the world and it's it's an infinite yeah, source. Yeah. Well, so I also I got that thing about love, but let me tell you what else the cactus told me. When I went back that second time, it told me I need to just let it loose. I need to let it fly. I need to let my words fly. I need to let my fists fly sometimes. It said you need to stand up for what you believe in and sometimes you have to do what initially sounds like the wrong thing, but if you do it for the right reasons it's okay and mm. to never ever do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Right. That's interesting, isn't it? Because I'm in a position where I've got to make decisions. And it's it's hard because what is the right thing to do? And what are the right decisions? Uh, I, yikes. You know what I mean? Like like a lot of times it's, it's tough to find that right answer. And, and I think I was watching a Tony Robbins documentary on Netflix talking about decisiveness and making decisions and and how the only wrong decision is no decision. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that's... I'm, try, I'm trying to correlate some stuff that I had got talked to me in the jungle and, and this stuff, and then I just sort of lost my train. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, happens. Yeah. Such a profound thing that you're dumbstruck and lost for words. That's all right. E- the only thing, the only wrong thing you can do is not make a decision. I think we're overwhelmed by, oh, we have a million. I could literally choose to do anything I want with a day. You know, with these days, we just have this massive freedom of choice. Yeah. But, and so this is another thing I got from the jungle was go with your gut. I got back my raw instincts because the psychedelics do this thing where they remove the gunk in your brain and it re it's a reset button. You know when your Nintendo starts to scramble, all you have to do is hit that reset button and it's back to that clear picture, the one you started with when you were a kid. And that's what the powerful psychedelic experience I had in the jungle, which was also psychedelic in itself, just being in a rainforest away from the world for three weeks. Yeah. Also is right. that's enough to reset every single one of your circuits. Hmm. So I did that plus the shamanic plant medicines in a really traditional fashion with the goal was to make myself a better person when I got back. The experience in the jungle was great. But the two weeks after I got back, I felt like my brain was on fire. My instincts were on fire. I could look at somebody and see right through them or, or see if they were a good person. Like, I'm not saying I could see their energies or their auras, but I knew. I'll never forget, like, I was back for two days from the jungle and there was this guy outside of my apartment and I was like, that guy is so shady. He's so shady. And he was he worked in the management in my building. Well, he ended up, like, getting fired for sexually harassing and being a psychopath and I just knew he was a – I knew there was something wrong with him and that was getting all my instincts back. So when it comes to making choices, 
instead of thinking about it and trying to use logic, trying to use anything, I just go with my gut and it seems to be doing what's right for me. And the more I think about things and the more I try and prevent things or mitigate possible risks, the more I just seem to just let it loose and let it fly, the better off I am. Because I cleaned out all those things, all the self-doubt, all the hesitation, not obviously not all of it, but as much as I could wipe out, all that stuff where you just, over the years, you're we get these things where it's like, oh, every time I used to stand up and say something, somebody would tell me to shut up. So I just learned to just be quiet. And it was just easier that way just to not say anything and just kind of just think on myself, well, you know, fuck those guys or whatever. I could just keep it to myself. But now I'd rather make the mistake and say I'm sorry and say something stupid and apologize for it later because at least I got it off my chest. And clearly I do have a lot to say when I can get my thoughts together. Mm. But I don't worry about making the mistakes either. Because one powerful thing that I learned from a different podcast, from Duncan Trussell's podcast, is a very powerful thing you can do, and that's called forgiving yourself. And it's not easy, and it's hard, and I have to keep doing it, but like the more I say out loud that I like forgive myself, like I can actually deal with it. The giant mistakes that I've made recently, I'm just like, oh, well, you know, I forgive you, you know, it's okay. Because you and I are the kind of people that do this thing where you forgive your friends, you forgive crazy people for doing insane things and you're still want to be their friend like remember that crazy guy that we helped out like move a car and like <laughs> rob a house i don't know exactly we were not culpable in any illegal acts that guy was a maniac but like still you forgave him for being a selfish prick and he was just self like you know what i mean he was just yeah. but god forbid you do one thing so like you know what i mean you spill a coffee you're not gonna forgive yourself for a couple weeks and it's way more powerful to give yourself that forgiveness and the kindness that you give to others to also out loud, give it to yourself. Me saying, like, I forgive myself out loud and on a podcast is way stronger and feels way better. And especially when we're talking about all this kid stuff, and I'm not the father in this case, but man, things were really wild there for a minute. And it's like, it's more of like accepting your mistakes and, and getting past them than like, because if you, if I don't forgive myself for it, then it's always this open wound that I keep like picking at. Especially in this professional wrestling industry that I'm in, if I zig when I should have zagged one time, one night, that moment will live in my head forever. But I learned the thing with wrestling, which is you forget about it after you do your next match. You move on, you move it, you just, it's not giving me that fear that it should. For a while, I couldn't even have, I couldn't come from sex because of this possible pregnancy thing. I couldn't, it would just mess with my head. But since I've been forgiving of myself and trying to get over it, and now back in the swing of things, <laughs> all systems so that's go. That's crazy. So you couldn't like ejaculate because subconsciously you're like, these swimmers could make, make a, a baby, baby and, and therefore I've got to keep them back. And I'm not like, and after going through what I just went through, I, this exact moment is not the time that I want to be even taking this risk. And when you have yeah. sex, there is an explicit risk of pregnancy well if you don't wear a condom but even if you do wear a condom i mean there's just always a chance i mean is there? there's always a chance really well you need to keep i mean we should all always keep that in mind there's definitely there's i think it's 19 percent effective just same as pulling out condoms no. the numbers are sh- condom and pull out would be the safest safe sex Hmm. And plus, you know, the woman on the pill, but, you know, you can't force people to be on the pill or whatever. No, nor should you. I Actually, I talked to a very interesting friend of mine yesterday that explained to me that um, she has the theory 
about how you know how women are way more olfactory inclined than men are women are attracted by the smell of someone more so than the way they physically look because they are able through their smell to determine whether someone's a good genetic match for them and so that's why arguably they might like somebody and not realize why but it's just because genetically they're very well predisposed to make good children right now that only works when they're in touch with their hormonal systems when they get on the pill that stops working and so this, this she explained that like before she got married she was really attracted to this guy she got married got off the pill and then all of a sudden couldn't stand the smell of him anymore and she thinks it's because genetically they were very similar to where they weren't going to make good healthy babies and therefore it was only when she was on the pill that she couldn't realize that it inhibited her intuition if it dulled her instincts and those most primal senses, the things that have guided us and mankind for the past who knows how many, 100,000, maybe million years. Yeah, fascinating stuff. But um, So you were talking about you know what you've learned, though, through that experience about potentially being a father in that, right? Just having a kid is serious business, man. It's just I, I know you're trying to plan out the details and the things of it. My view on it is you can't have like a mechanical view. Mm. You can't say you need a battery, we need wires, we need a carburetor, boom, now we have a car. I'm saying you have a seed and you have to let it grow. It's not something where you can plan it out and have all these things. So I love that what you're doing because you're looking for someone who's looking for the same thing as you. The problem is always in the language, the syntax because the language creates our world and we live in a world where certain words have more power than others. Like a word like sex might mean something for me differently than it means for you, but we're both talking about sex. Do you see what I'm saying? And so mm-hmm. when you're talking about loving somebody and somebody else is talking about love, they might be two different kinds of love. Same right. thing with the word like God. God in some people triggers this horrible anti-reaction. God in some people triggers a crazy pro-reaction. And God in some people are apathetic. But we might not all be talking about the same thing. Mm. So how do we, I guess that's communicating that. Right. Learning how to do, to communicate your ideas. That to me seems why this podcast is such a good idea because you're putting, and you've actually used a few new words that I've picked up, like a vocabulary. It also seems to be very about putting order and things and saying, I'm a this box, I'm a that box, you're a this box, this box goes with that box. Putting people in these little identity circles. You're a Nigel, I'm a Matt. But the reality is we're both just I. You don't fit into a box. Nobody does. Mm. What happens is is you put them in that role and then they, by you being a mirror for them, they just accept that role. And, and in accepting that role and just performing it because you project it on them, they might actually ha- have some hidden hostility because they feel like they're not in control of their lives, but they're really just being a reflection of what you wanted them to be right so what what i like is that you're finding somebody who wants to have a kid that making a family is very important for and you want to do it together and you're not looking to own the person you're looking to grow a family and you know when you say oh i want to have a a polyamory the, the word family gets lost in that and like what I see is the cutest thing is you get you guys having a cute little family. Hmm. But then the things that are required to make that family the happiest seem to me and to you to be these kind of non-traditional things, which means like sex outside of that relationship would be acceptable in cases where it just makes sense. Like 
I was just dating a girl who said she broke up with her last boyfriend because he was cheating on her. He was getting blowjobs at the coffee shop. What? Uh, yeah, from some from some lady who just kept seducing him and just offering him, you know, kiki coffee, put some blowjob there. And so, you know, of course that was offensive to her. But like, one, the the woman who's doing that has her own problems, and the guy's just like certainly can't tell the girlfriend about it. And then he's just get, do, doing this weird weird sexual act, and it just becomes a whole negative thing. Whereas it would have been like if they people had had just a more open relationship, he could have been like, hey, this crazy lady at the coffee shop's trying to blow me or whatever. Hmm. And then she'd be like, well, you know, I'll blow you or you can, you know, or we can talk about this. But at least it would be like an honesty thing. And and yeah. because I think when you bring up polyamory, you're also bringing up a situation that doesn't presently exist. You're like, it's, a, it's one of those things you're almost setting up for something that's not even in the cards. But by talking about how you feel about relationships and those things aren't like, your values are not the non-traditional ones. They're, I mean, I don't live in the rigidities. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not looking for labels for who I am either. I could live in a house. I would love to have all sorts of weird family situations. I'd be all about all that, but I couldn't tell you which one would be the best. It's which one, like the one that happens, the one that the universe presents you, that's going to be the one that, because that's your only choice, essentially. Right, yeah. And I get it 100%. But it's interesting you talk about forgiving yourself for making mistakes and when I hear you say that, there, there seems to be an, an inherent judgment there. And I feel as though what we need to do is get to a place where because we're acting authentically and going with our gut instinct, we don't make mistakes. We make things, we make decisions that arguably we need to go in a different direction afterwards. But there's no apology needed. Well, you're not as crazy as I am then because you're not making <laughs> – I mean I am I guess I'm out there taking risks and really falling hard, man. I mean because I fall hard and I, I've affected people, not just myself. Yeah. And, you know, I mean you can't be mad that you made the mistake. That That's my way of, of accepting it and moving on. But you can't, you can't say just because I was acting authentically that it was the right thing to do. Sometimes my brain deceives me. Like I blew up on – for no reason I was – I caught myself yelling at somebody just the other day. And I mean, like, afterwards, I mean, I got a chance to apologize to her and I still feel bad. But, like, she was getting on my nerves and I let it fly. I was like, I don't need to be hearing this. My ears don't deserve this. Da, 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 But her intentions were not that. She had good intentions. She wasn't getting her point across well because the, the language that she was using was not the language that, that made my ears tickle. It was like fingernails on a chalkboard. And so I let her, I told her exactly how I feel. When, you know, And then we talked about it a little bit more and we got to a, a more common ground and we got much deeper into it because, well, I kind of flew off the handle and we went back and then we found a middle ground. And we talked about why like our conversation ended up with me being upset mm. because I couldn't pinpoint it exactly and then we kind of went back and talked about it. And I was like, yeah, it was like right when you started saying this stuff, I was like, you were talking to me like I'm a child and I'm like older than you. And like, what, like you were, I was like, you were talking, you were talking like a high schooler to me. And I was like, it was annoying to me. I was like, I don't, I don't have these kind of conversations. Yeah. Like, like I said, it, I was acting authentically, but I also wasn't acting very considerate of her. Cause I do this stuff, man. I get up at four o'clock in the morning, get on a plane, change planes, land, went, go straight to lunch. You know what I mean? Like I'm in a place where I'm not always caught up or awake or coherent or on the same like level as other people so I find it hard to like balance out and I'm just like I can't fake 
you know, being wide awake if I'm asleep, and I can't fake being asleep if I'm wide awake. Like you said, it's tr- trying to act authentic and genuine. People really appreciate that. And so when I went on a date with a girl and I said, hey, I think I might have a girl pregnant, like, and you tell them that right away, mm-hmm. they appreciate that because at least it's not something that you, you're yeah, hiding. you're but, right. But also at the same time, that's super relevant information because it was extremely pertinent. Yeah. But saying that by the second date, you need to know in my head, if we kept staying together, we could both possibly explore relationships outside of this one. By talking about what you want or what this is, you're not doing anything in that moment. You're not yes. being active in that moment. You're actually being extremely passive because you're saying something eventually down the line will happen when you can be making stuff happen right now, which is like I was saying, the immediacy mm-hmm. on on all these things. And because there is an urge, you feel the impetus, you feel the urgency every day because you want to make this happen. You know, life's short. You want to make the most of it. Yeah. I think that is a very uh, engaging quality because a lot of people are just kind of floating down the river. And if somebody comes soaring through in a canoe, they're going to want to jump on and, and, mm-hmm. and hop on a ride. But if you're going slower than them, how are you going to – like why would they want to – like yep. what are they going to slow down for you? 100%. Nobody's slowing down, but people will try and catch up. And for me, the type of woman that I'm interested in is somebody that's so busy that they can barely see you, that they have so much going on. They're so into their stuff like – dating someone in medical school or a doctor or people who are really doing something special with their lives. That way I can be doing what's special about my life and then together you can also have all that. Yeah, you can have something that uh, yeah fits both yeah. of your schedules and is an addition yeah. to your life. So if there's any life. like Olympic medalists, female stand-up comedians listening right now, you know, I'm in LA. <laughs> so you t- mentioned immediacy there. I know we talked yesterday about online dating and... I haven't been doing so well with it. Um, I haven't said that. I've met a few people and I really like them, get on sort of well. I haven't necessarily felt that spark straight away, um, but I'm trying to let things move organically. But you were saying that certainly when it comes to apps like Tinder or Bumble, the key is to be here and now and not go, hey, how you doing? Why's your weekend gone? What are you doing next week? Maybe we can get a coffee, blah, blah, blah. The key is to say, what are you doing now? Let's go and get a coffee now, or do you want to go and get a drink tonight? Yeah, the immediate direct experience because you're while you're online, you're not, you're still not a person, you're not a human. They don't, nobody cares about anybody through a few messages. I always feel like if somebody was in, like if you did the swipe thing, that means we're both interested in doing what is the modern day version of dating, which is just meeting up and talking, hmm. which isn't that difficult to do. And the people who can't do it have problems and the people who can don't if you're sitting there on your phone at four o'clock and you're matching with people and at six o'clock you can't meet them for coffee what's kind of going on in this type of world if you don't meet up with somebody immediately you're you're just not going to be a person to them and how are you going to get to know them it's like if you bumped into somebody at starbucks and sat down and had coffee with them Hmm. well so the meeting online is the bump but you still got to sit down and have the coffee otherwise it doesn't count so you got to get a phone number and you got to meet up with them and you never, you know what I mean? You never know where it goes from there. Well, I think I'm trying to look at it from an old sort of romantic standpoint, which is ironic. Because right, I but think- that's your definition of romance. Right. You, so only people who grew up just like you yeah. think romance is what you think it is. Why do you need romance on a first date? What, 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 don't you just want to like be you're, like you love friendship? So friendship can beget romance. Sure. Romance is most appreciated when romance is desired. When you 
hang out with her, and she then wants you to be romantic, and then uh, you do it. Then you're fulfilling the role that she is looking at you for. You've put yourself in a position where she now wants you to bring her flowers, right. and then when you do, you're going to get some really good sex. <laughs> it's interesting. I've met, and maybe it's just living in Los Angeles now, but I've talked to a few girls in non-dating environments about Tinder and Bumble and apps like that, and they openly expressed their desire to just use them to have sex and these are attractive powerful women and it just um maybe it was how i was raised in england to think about sex i mean i was like 21 years old before i realized that girls actually wanted to have sex i thought it was something they gave up so that they get a boyfriend and and to hear that maybe i'm thinking too much to it i don't know i heard the term demisexual the other night have you are you familiar with it so demisexual is the idea that you have to have a deep, meaningful, emotional connection to be sexually attracted to somebody. You can't really do casual sex. Yes, basically. but so how – let me ask you this. Can you not have that connection the instant you link eyes with someone? Can that deep, powerful, meaning connection happen in less than a millisecond? Can it actually happen through a quantum brain connection that you can't even explain? Because mm. in my personal opinion, I've known people for a long time and still not known them. And I've locked eyes with a woman across the room and she saw straight through my soul, like straight out of one of these Indian guru things. Mm. The language that we have and the science that we have to like talk yeah. about these things just doesn't really correlate. But I've had a deep, profound with just eye contact. 100%. Agreed 100%. But that doesn't mean... So that makes me demisexual for sure because yes. I can, you know... That turned me on right. and it was just there. Some people, however, can have sex without feeling any emotional connection to somebody. They go, here's a girl. Maybe I'm not even physically attracted to her. Maybe I think she's a horrible person, but she has a vagina. It's reasonably wet and I'm I'll, hard. And I'll do her the favor. Right. I'm, I don't consider myself that way. And I've been in situations where I've tried and it didn't really work. Whether it was full-blown comedy cock or whether it was I just didn't even go beyond that stage because I just didn't feel like it. Well, I think that's why they call it getting intimate because you're supposed to have some intimacy. And mm. I know that's what you're into. And I just like seldom have I ended up in a situation where I felt like there wasn't an intimacy. Yeah. It always gets intense for me. I mean, it's a danger, but it's also why it's so like why I enjoy it so much because of that high level of intensity in it. I think sex is very special. It's, and I appreciate sex so much more. It means more the more you do it and the more you do it with one person. To me, I don't need the term demisexual or uh, whatever the one for you're attracted to people because of their brains and stuff. Hmm. I, I'm attracted to individuals. And I've always said that. What type of girl do you like? Well, I could tell you I like me some white women, but then every once in you know, but then I'll see a girl that looks like this that I love. And literally, I mean like, I'll, I'll like a lesbian with big ankles. And I like, the, the guys will be like, what? Like, and I'll be, I'm telling you, man, I get a vibe from them that I really dig. And a lot of times it's the way a woman carries herself. Yeah. Because for, for me, the way she carries herself translates very physically for me. Hmm. And we were talking about mindfulness earlier. If you're mindful of how you're sitting or you're mindful of how you're walking and you're you're moving in a mindful manner, I think I notice when people are also mindful of their behaviors and what they're doing. And like hmm. I can get turned on by a girl who can spot a creep from on the other side of the room. Like, As long as it's not you. 
Well, I mean, if they can, then I respect her. That's funny, yeah. But when you talk about you know, sex being such a wonderful, positive experience, I, I agree wholeheartedly. It's a connection to the divine, if you think of it from Buddhist terms, how we're all part of this universal oneness that we all came from and we will eventually all day, one day go back to. Having sex with somebody, connecting on that level with the potentiality of making a baby, but even outside of that, still is that connection to this universal oneness and this sense of we are all part of this one thing. And again, this is something that's difficult to sort of explain in words. Just when you're saying that, I mean, it sounds like the universe pushes everything towards reproduction. You're born to create the next generation, which creates the next generation, which creates technology, which creates computers, which take over the world. So really, we're just the sex organs of the machine world. It <laughs> loves me a little bit there, but... Following the like the flow of the universe, if you're rolling with the flow, that is reproduction, like procreating, making a family, like that's what mm. the universe, it just almost seems to be pushing mankind in that direction. You want to have sex and you want to make a baby and you want to raise that kid to be awesome and you want to like give it an awesome life and then it will continue this process until right the machines how does that that factor in with with homosexuality because a lot of people who are gay want kids and they have that desire but it's not a desire to have sex with someone of the opposite sex and then to make babies with them no so but their desire is to push forward the next generation and leaving it better than you found it if people were just acting on leaving it better than we found it we would have a Yeah, but so it does really potentially speak to the idea of needing a village to raise a family and that it doesn't have to be your own genetic kid because especially if, you know, you're having in a family, in a village with people who are genetically similar to you, then your brother's kids are so genetically similar to mm. your own kids, then you could just as easily raise them and feel that sense of making the world a better place in the next generation right everybody's an uncle i mean i i mean i love that idea you know in israel they have the kibitzes where it's like uh a group of families live together and they're pretty self-sustaining i mean there's some real cool concepts of living like it's very interesting that all of a sudden we decided that success means you build four walls put a roof up and hide yourself from everybody else so that you can be a weirdo in your house privately like i'm all about being a weirdo with with everybody else like I love my isolation because because of what I do and how mad and insane these 72 hours of wrestling, no sleep, bright lights, loud music. I love being alone and having total silence to wall your, yourself away from like, you know, when you're 18, 19, 20 to your 30s, we're not around babies a lot. Mm. So you sort of lose that connection to the, the beginning and the end. You know, if you're not around old people, you don't respect the end either. And I think we can learn so much from being around people that are just born and people that are just about to go out the door. You know, people that are just about to go to sleep and not wake up and hang around the people that woke up without having gone to sleep. It's hard to make decisions in your life unless you pull out and have that perspective that you were a baby, you were an adolescent, you're an adult, you're going to get old. You know, there's going to be somebody that might get all with you. It's arguably only at the either end of a lifetime that people can really see truth. And in the meantime, there's a lot of other stuff that clouds it. Well, then in the meantime, there's been language and people have just told you what life is and what it is. But a baby, you don't ask a baby. You don't say, hey, come over here. Let's play. The play comes from within the baby. It's just being. It's not saying, okay, in a few years we need to make sure we have kindergarten money and we need to be thinking about the future. It just plays and like, that's why people derive so much joy from kids, man. And 
Dude, Seriously. I can't wait till you're a dad. It's going to be so awesome. I don't know if it will happen, you know. If I, if it does happen, it will be because I've been decisive and I've made a choice, you know. And that's where I'm at, where I need to do this for sure. And depending on when this airs, maybe I'll have an embryo already. I, I don't know. But you talk cool. about, you know, learning a lot from old people. Rachel, one of my prospective parenting partners worked in an old people's home when she was younger and she said that one of the unifying themes talking to people who were on death's door was that if they didn't have kids they all regretted it they all felt as though that was something they missed out on in their life and you wonder because i know my sister and i know plenty of other people that as you said never want children and you wonder whether when they do get to that age whether they will regret it and what is it about not having kids that they regret? Are they lonely? And do they feel like if they'd had kids that they wouldn't be lonely? And therefore, if instead of having kids, you can develop all these wonderful, beautiful, meaningful relationships with other people, other human beings, then you won't feel that way. Mm. I, I, I don't know. You could make an argument that all the old people who are in an old people's home are probably there because they don't have enough loving relationships to take care of them outside of it. I don't know. Yeah, or they're just, I mean, there's also just typical human things like jealousy like Mm. being at that home and seeing the other grandmas getting gifts from kids and you're just sitting there i mean even if your friends visit it just because the way people light up when they talk about their kids it's just this thing we it's a very powerful thing i mean like okay so this is something that happened to me recently i never really thought about things from my parents perspective in that how they really feel about me and now I know that my parents, I could screw up, I could do the worst stuff ever, and they would still love me, and they would still care. Literally, I could have gotten away with anything. I don't know why I've been such a good person. Well, maybe because they raised me well. But, like, <laughs> it's it's insane. It it transcends language. It's something that, man, I really thought I had, and I it slipped kind of through my fingers, and I know I want it, but I'm not necessarily directly looking for a parenting partner, but I would be looking for a partner that wants to have kids. Yeah. Eventually, over the long term, there's a great... Um. Oh, who sings that song? Wilco did a cover of it, but it's this great guy who does lo-fi music, and he just says, "Only if you're looking can you find it." Like we all can find love and true love, but only if you're looking are you gonna find it. And that's why stuff like this is important because we're telling everybody there's plenty of people out there looking for it. It's good to have high standards. It's it's okay to be older and not have kids because you've just been waiting for the right time. And you're taking the action to make it happen, but you also can't force a snake to shed its skin. It just molts the skin when it's, when the time's right. So, I mean, you know, that's when the, the caterpillar doesn't walk around being like, ah, I'm done with caterpillarness, time to go be a butterfly. It just, all of a sudden, it just starts being like, I should, boy, I wrap myself in this giant web and then, you know what I mean? Then it like literally dissolves and becomes a butterfly. It just has... It yeah, just ha- it just happens. But all and those that's things that you describe, they have no connection to free will. And as human beings, we see ourselves as free will with the ability to make choices and thereby make mistakes, make the right decisions and make the wrong decisions. Do you think there's value in seeing our lives more deterministically as if... We don't really have that free will. Because when you look back on your life, a lot of people say, now when I look back on my life, it's almost as though it was already predetermined, as it was written. And while it seemed like I had choice, at the time I really didn't. Like everything was put in my life for a reason. It's as though this is a book that you're just reading. It's how I view my life. I, I, I've had this free will discussion with Vigity a few times. And 
I wholeheartedly believe in free will because I also believe in deprogramming the cultural conditioning that I've been subjected to, which means you're, you have more free will. I'm not going to say total free will, but I feel like I'm the kind of person I, I could get on a plane and not come back. I could go to Thailand and just, that's it, be fine. Like other people would say, well, because we don't necessarily have free will, you're just going to kind of keep going in the course that the river is pushing, the river of destiny is pushing you down. However, I feel like if you start doing what, if you start doing what you're supposed to be doing for no money, for just the, for you, when you start doing things for the right reason, yeah. the universe starts removing obstacles out of your way. The universe starts being very glad because when you're doing that, it's moving things in the right direction. Like you're actually following your destiny, you're fulfilling it as opposed to not taking those chances, not taking the risks, not, not putting the podcast out and then you end up as the passive person flowing as opposed to the person going through the rapids with, with a paddle. You know what I mean? You're still in the river. You're not on the land. Yeah. I'm reading an interesting book called The Way of the Superior Man at the moment, and it talks about that, about finding your purpose in life. And it's not to say you've got one purpose for your whole life. It actually says your purpose will change. Yeah. And that's the, the danger is to say, okay, there was something that, 10 years ago, I used to love 100%, and now I don't feel that way about it. And you suffer through this and go, well, why don't I feel that way? And maybe if I just stick with it, you've got to listen to that. You've got to listen and say, this isn't my purpose anymore, and not be scared to move into the next stage of your life, you know, to own it. And once you've done that, and you're living within your true purpose, like you said, obstacles get removed, but also you are much more able to love and be free with every other aspect of your life. And what it says is that your purpose has to be the number one priority in your life above relationships, above money, above children, above absolutely everything. And that's not to say you should ignore any of those other things or not honor your obligations, but they have to come from an effusive expansion of that internal meaning and purpose in life. Uh, that's a really great explanation. And at first I didn't like it, but then I realized that the idea is that if you take away from your passion, your purpose for these other things in your life, what you create is a resentment because you hold one against the other. Yeah. And that is toxic for both for both things. Yep. Like when I would work a full-time job and wrestle – I was giving both these things that I cared about half of my life. I was giving them each 50%. Well, guess what? None of them were doing well because I was only ha I was giving half to both. When I went all in with wrestling, when I quit my job and took a job for $80 a match in Japan, magically two years later, I took the leap of faith. And instead of it being a bunch of rocks at the bottom, like Terrence McKenna says, you take the leap of faith and it's a feather bed. You jump and all of a sudden you land and you realize it's a feather bed. And I think it's that way with, with having a kid. I really like – that's how it was feeling when I thought I was having a kid. It's just like you don't know. You you leap and then it's like, wow, this is like no, – is, right. what, is what you're supposed to be doing. It just – you know, when things feel right, man, it's it's really special. But you also can't be mad at yourself when things don't feel right because you can't – it's hard to identify it. Mm. And I've, I've told you I lived my life to for other people's happiness to live other people's dreams, to do what they said was what makes what should make me happy. And I went along every day and said I was happy and said I loved it and couldn't really figure out why I shouldn't love what I was doing other than I just didn't love it. And then a few years later, when I'm talking about the same sport of pro wrestling, 
a couple years after that, being worn out and wanting and being over it and ready to open up a business, fell back in love with it. And I think that same thing could happen with a, with with a woman or with anything. You know, if you're riding the wave, it's going to go down, but then it goes back up, and it's just a matter of how much time it's going to take. If you're looking through a hole in a, in a fence and you see, like, a head go by and then a tail go by, you have to realize that they're part of the same thing. So the good goes with the bad. If I didn't have these struggles, I wouldn't enjoy wrestling nearly as much. Yeah. If I didn't constantly feel like like I was failing, to feel like I was succeeding— if I didn't have the pain to go with the glory, if it didn't hurt so much to wrestle for so long, it would not feel this good to wrestle now. Hmm. And and the same way with all these relationships, man, like every relationship I get in is better than the last one. I mean, it really is. You get to know a little bit more about yourself by seeing yourself and other people. Yeah. There's no guidebook. There's nobody in charge. Nobody's steering the ship. There's no cabal running the world. There's nobody who knows up from down. Like, no, we're all just guessing. Nobody yeah. has the answers. The only person who has the answers is you. Inside of me, I know that's where I got my answers. I can always look and I always take other people's things. But in the end, if I don't go with my gut feeling, if I don't go with my gut, then I'm being dishonest with myself and I'm not. It shows. Mm. And I think people have always been able to tell the times where I've been disingenuous from the times where I'm genuine. And I thought they didn't. You know what I mean? Like I just thought everybody thought everything was normal. It was fine. But even if they don't see it, they felt it. You know, the more the more genuine and honest I live my life, I feel the more people are drawn to me, the more people want to hang out. And yep. the better people. And, you know, I. but that's also for me, having had some horrible friends that suck and are, are energy vampires and then realizing I have to murder them and then move on and, and just say, hey, I want to keep the good people in my life, which is why when I come out to L.A., I always crash on your couch. Oh, that's kind, mate. Yeah, you've always, you know, you've always been a good guy. And I've seen this evolution over the last, what, 10, 15 years of you as a person. And you've always been someone that has drawn people to you, you know. And I think that is part of your sort of uh, psychological evolution and being able to do that. So it's a wonderful thing. And I hope some of it rubs off on me. That's why it's so great every time you come out here. I've got a couple of days of positive karma with me, you know, and hopefully uh, you can come out more often. But uh, I don't know why when you were talking like that, it just suddenly occurred to me that that little um, monologue that Bill Hicks used to do at the end of his stuff about it's just a ride. Have you ever heard that? It's fantastic. You have to look it up yeah. on YouTube. I think okay. I might actually read it out uh, as a, at the end, to end this interview. Yeah. Uh, but it's all about how you know it's just a ride, and you know we shouldn't think too much about it. Yeah. I mean, that's just. I mean, my favorite philosopher is Alan Watts, and he just talks about it. Life is play. Yeah. You know, and it's not about the crescendo at the end. It's not about that last symbol smash. If that's what it was, we would go to the opera and or go to the you know orchestra and just hear the finale. But it's every note along the way, mm. and it's also not about looking at where your feet are exactly. It's about flowing with the music and enjoying each step along the way. And that philosophy has really helped me out because we are both people who projected really far into the future, unhappy with this and that, and then realizing that there is nowhere to go there is no destination the stars in their courses have no destination the train of events arrives at no station the inmost and ultimate self of us all is laughing on nothing and having a ball what a perfect way to end the podcast (laughs) my friend
Well, thank you so much. beautiful thing. Always wonderful to talk to you. Hopefully we'll do this again sometime soon. God, this is so good for me, man. This is great therapy. I don't have to pay you, do I? (laughs) And this podcast is sponsored by Matt's Therapy Fund. (laughs) (laughs) All right, mate. Lovely. Cheers. Well, that was Matt Seidel. Told you he was a cool fella. Next week's interview is a dear old pal of mine who used to wrestle as Shasta McNasty way back in my early wrestling days. He's a character, originally from Georgia and uh, has that southern accent. But he's a deep down, good caring person who certainly cares about me and has lived a pretty crazy life too. And we talked about some of it in the podcast. And if we would buy a pack of cigarettes and bring $10, we'd get a blowjob. I'll see you next week. Well, that is it. One week closer to Six Feet Under. Thanks for listening and being part of the journey. Drop me a line if you think you or someone you know would be a good match for me as a parenting partner here in Los Angeles. Before you go, though, you know the deal. Please rate, write a review, and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Show some love. I'll be back next week, but if you want more before, then you can read my weekly blog at nigelwrestling.com forward slash blog, where you can also buy merchandise, book me, or just send me a nice message. Until then, wherever you are, and whoever you're with, I hope you find kindness and love. Be happy.